it is important to keep things in perspective. Sometimes I lose perspective on things. I've done this before where something broke on my car or my house and the real goal, like what I set out to do was to make my house, to make my car look better when I was done. But what happened along the way is that I broke two other things, trying to fix this one thing, and all of a sudden it does not look better than when I set out to do this thing. Sometimes maybe you have lost perspective on something before. Um, and and I've, I've already warned you, right? Um, so keep things in perspective. But then I also have the very theologically, philosophically significant question of the day that will just guide your life as you go from this place. What would you do for a Klondike bar? <laughs> you ever seen those commercials? So I, I went back on um, the wonderful world of YouTube and found old commercials from uh, before I was a kid and they had these Klondike bar commercials and they would walk up to someone, right, be like, okay, what would you do for a Klondike bar? And one of them is like they make this guy like make monkey noises, which I will not make from the stage to be broadcast into the digisphere for the youth group to like replay for me over and over again. So I'm not going to do that. Um, but one of the other things they did is they walked up these big, bulky bodybuilder guys, and they were like, okay, would you play patty cake for a Klondike bar? And they did it. Like, they thought that was funny. But then, okay, you fast forward through a couple decades of television, and when I was a kid, the things people would do for a Klondike bar were insane. Like, the, the commercials just started getting more and more out of hand, just more and more strange. So like one of the ones from when I was a kid is it's got these two teenagers, they're sitting on a bench and they are both just like covered in bandages and blood and just all kinds of stuff. Cause then they're eating their Klondike bars and the, the, the girl looks over at the boy and she's like, what'd you do for your Klondike bar? And, and he takes a bite and he flashes back to like jumping out of a uh, airplane and skydiving and he's like fighting snakes Indiana Jones style and he's like, I don't want to talk about it. Now, now here's the thing that might help us if we put it in perspective, okay? Do you know what a Klondike bar costs? 67 cents. That's... That's ridiculous, right? Like that's, what would you do? Would anyone endanger themselves for 67 cents? Normally, I have to get the youth group a little bit of a bigger incentive to get them to do something crazy, right? You know? What would you do? What would you do for 67 cents? And the answer is, probably not a whole lot. Would you come on up, embarrass yourself on the stage, just like I do every single week? No. You would not do that. Keep it in perspective. Here's another, here's another thing I want you to imagine, okay? Imagine you are out at dinner with some of your friends, right? And, and someone goes, they pick up the check, and you have just bought yourself a $60 meal, okay? $60 meal. Like, first of all, you're probably just like sighing. You're like, oh, that was really good. I hope it was really good. Like, if you're paying, you know. 
but you just, you just bought this meal and someone else picks up the check and says, oh, don't worry, I got this. And what do you feel in that moment? You feel maybe some gratitude, maybe you gotta do the little dance of like, oh no, I couldn't possibly, like before you get to, well, they actually cover it. But are any of you going to turn to your friend and say, hey, you owe me 15 cents for the tip? Are any of us gonna do that? No, that would be ridiculous. Well, what if we did it this way, okay? You get given $60 million. And some of you have good imaginations and you're like really smiling about that. And some of you are like, yeah, that would never happen, Andrew. I know, but just walk with me on the story, okay? So you get given $60 million. Is the first thing you're gonna do, pick up the phone, call your buddy and be like, you owe me 10 grand. No, like you just got 60 million. And where did I get those numbers? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Let's look at a story from Jesus. So this is what Jesus told his disciples, because those numbers I was throwing out, like I'm talking about Klondike bars, and it's ridiculous, because Jesus told a story that was ridiculous. In Matthew 18, verse 23, he says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought in who owed him 10,000 talents. And I'm sure that not all of us like measure our finances in first century uh, currency terms. And so I will just bring you up to speed. That is 20 years worth of work. That is a career. That is, depending on some economists like references, like that is $60 million. That's a lot of money. And this guy, He's hauled in front of the king, and it is time to pay the piper. He's been living it up. I don't know where it's gone. Like, where does $60 million go? Like, and this guy doesn't have it. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made, which was pretty common in um, Greece and Egypt and the kingdoms that surrounded Israel, because they're like, well, if you don't have it, then we're just going to own you now. And I'm so glad that's not how bankruptcy court works now, right? That's, but uh, so they're, they're going to sell this guy. He has no hope. And so the servant fell on his knees and imploring the king, he says, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And this guy is grasping at straws. Because I don't know where he's going to come up. Like, if, you, if he doesn't have it now, I don't know where he's going to come up with it. And out of pity for him. So the king looks at his servant. And, and this word, it gets translated here as pity. Um, but I really like how some other translations would look at it and say compassion. Because um, it's a specific Greek word that deals with the gut. It is the Greek word for gut, um, which I'm sure this is what you wanted to know this morning. But the Greek word for gut is splankna. So feel free, turn to your neighbor and say splankna, right? Splankna. In, in this guy's splankna, in his gut, he looks out at this guy and he is moved with emotion. Because in their day and the way they thought, like that's where emotion happened. And so this, this king, he's not upset. 
He's not hard-hearted. He's not bitter. But he looks at this guy with compassion, with pity for him, and the master of the servant released and forgave him. He cut him loose from the baggage. That's, that's like literally the, the Greek word here, is to release, to free him from this debt. And that servant, I'm sure, like was really excited. And for those of us, maybe, maybe you've heard this story a time or two before, I would say do not lose the comedy of the timing. Because Jesus tells a funny story here, because what happens as that guy walks out of the room? He walks out and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. That is a hundred days of work. So 20 years, whole career, hundred days of work. And he walks up to the guy and he's so moved with compassion. He's so just full of, of what the, the king has showed him that he begins to choke him saying, pay me what you owe. Do you see the humor there? It's ridiculous. This story is insane. If we were going to make a movie out of this, like Will Ferrell has to show up somewhere. <laughs> because it's nuts. And so he, he chokes the fellow servant, and the fellow servant says, have patience with me, and I will pay you. Where have you heard that before? These are the same words that come out of the guy's mouth just like 15 minutes earlier when he's in front of the king. And he says, I don't have a leg to stand on. I need help. But then when it comes time to look at someone else, he says, oh, man, you got to pay up. It's time to pay the piper. You owe me. And the man, in, in verse 30, it says he refused. He was hard-hearted. So unlike the king who is moved with compassion, this guy refuses, and he throws his fellow servant into prison until he can pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported it to their master, the king, all that had taken place. And so then he summoned the, the first servant and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should you, should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Because how ridiculous is it for someone who has been forgiven to not be forgiving? How, how insane is that? How out of place is it for someone who has received forgiveness to not extend that forgiveness to somebody else? And then the story gets pretty disturbing and in anger. His master delivered him to the jailers. Now, some translations would say the jailers to be tortured because there's a very specific word Jesus uses here for jailers, and they are the really scary mafia do not meet in a dark alley type of jailers. And Jesus is he's using this to just evoke just how serious this is until the guy could pay the debt. And then Jesus says, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So also, now that, okay. I think that might have a word for us. Let's pray. Let's see what God would have for us. Father God, we love you. We know that you desire good for us. And we know that you have forgiven us of many things. 
Father God, help us to be the type of people we should be, to live the type of life that you call us to. Forgive us, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome to Dallas Church. My name is Andrew Bullock. I'm the associate pastor here. And we are in a series called The Tales of the Kingdom. And what we mean by that, and that sounds kind of archaic, you know, maybe it's like, you know, gather around, kids, let's do some tales of the kingdom. No, this is nuts and bolts, everyday life sort of stuff. Because here's what we're doing in this series. This is a big, long series going all summer long. And we are basically asking the question, what kind of life? would Jesus ask us to live? Because Jesus did life with his disciples. And, and he, they saw how he responded to different situations. It wasn't just that his disciples would show up at synagogue on Saturday morning, and they would come in and sit down. Jesus would give them a half hour of everything that he had poured his heart and his soul and worked on all week for them. But rather, they walked with him in every single situation of life. And they saw, well, how do you respond? And here is just what we believe at Dallas Church. This is the bedrock, okay? That at this church, we are trying to live as people of the kingdom of God. And so I've, I've got this little slide here that illustrates this, but it's like this place in Dallas Church, it's not just that we're on American soil or we're in the municipality of Dallas, but this is the kingdom of God. And the way we do life, the way we do relationships is supposed to look more like what Jesus would have for us than the world around us. That's why we're doing Tales of the Kingdom. And then, then here's the thing, though. It's not just in this building, right? We say, go be the church. What happens after church on Sunday? Well, the church has left the building because we are the church. So my house is a little outpost of the kingdom of God. Now you all know where I live, as if you didn't know that already. But it's a little outpost where we're doing life the way of the kingdom of God because ultimately, in my heart and in all of our hearts, it's, it's like a little embassy. It's this little outpost where the kingdom of God starts to do a work. And so what Jesus is telling his disciples in this particular story has to do with how they are supposed to forgive each other. And, and it actually really makes sense if you look at the progression, because there, there was this thing where Jesus had his transfiguration, and he showed them just how big and cool and awesome he is, and then later he shows them his authority with paying the temple tax. And so then the disciples ask the question, okay, which of us are the best? What does it mean to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus says, well, you know that little kid that is not amounting to a whole lot right now. He's the greatest right now. And, and Jesus takes the disciples' idea of greatness and what it means to do human relationships, and he flips it on its head. And I think this is the disciples starting to get it. They are, they are beginning to have an idea because Peter comes up and says, Lord, how often will I forgive? Will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And I think Peter's got probably a little bit of a strut because seven is outrageous. Like the rabbis would teach that like, if you're going to be really patient with someone, you're going to forgive them three whole times. And Peter walks up and goes, hey, Jesus, 
how about I forgive him seven? And Jesus says, that's not good enough. He says, 70 times seven. Or maybe some translations say 77. But what he's doing from a Jewish mindset is he's putting an infinity mark on the end of it. Because he's, he's taking the biggest thing you can think of and saying, you, you got to keep going. Because, buddy, guess what? God's forgiven you. And so how out of place would it be for people who have been forgiven to not extend forgiveness to others? It'd be ridiculous. And at the same time, how often is that our experience? Because here's, here's what happens to me, okay? I, I go to church on Sunday. I, I take communion. And when I do that, I'm saying, here's the foundational story of my life, is the fact that I believe that when I was at my worst, when humanity had done terrible things against God, he did not give up on us. And the way we might phrase this is John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. God came and did something about this and died on a Roman cross so that we could have forgiveness and then Jesus rises to new life. And I know this is, this is not new for so many of us, but, but this is the bedrock of what we believe, is that we believe in new hope, new life, that Jesus rose from the dead and we live as people of the kingdom of God in a new way. And then do you know what happens on Monday morning? Somebody crosses me. Somebody says something wrong to me. They tick me off. Tick is the pulpit appropriate word that I can say, <laughs> right? They make me mad. They hurt my feelings. And I'm really tempted to latch on to that. And, and as I think about my story, um, I talk about forgiveness from the perspective of someone who has walked with people who have endured terrible things. Okay, there was one time the, the youth group, I was, I was putting forth an idea. I was like, man, like, what if we were different? Like, what if you walked through the halls of your high school and like you were high-fiving the other kids from youth group? And like, what if you guys like were encouraging each other and like speaking encouraging words, like praying for each other in the halls? And one kid goes, Andrew, you don't know what high school's like. Because that's unrealistic. And I can tell you that when I say, I look at this text, and I say that we are people who have been forgiven and therefore we should be forgiving. I say that knowing that people that I love have been betrayed and abused and hurt. I have looked people in the eye when they have told me that things have happened to them that just break my heart. And there was one time I was, I was talking to someone and they were opening up about something someone had done to them. And in my, in my head and my heart, I just was so overwhelmed for them. And just if I'm being real honest with myself, in my heart, in that moment, I said, I, I don't even know what to do with this. Because it's so painful. I don't know how to process this. And then as I thought a little bit more, I said, actually, I do know what to do with this. I put it at the foot of the cross. And I say, God, God dealt with this. This is above my pay grade. And I'm just going to cry with my friend right now. 
And so when I say that I believe that we are people who have been forgiven by God and therefore should be forgiving to other people, I know how hard that is. But that God loves us so much, sometimes he asks us to do hard things. And sometimes those hard things make a difference, right? Sometimes putting things in perspective, we got to do hard things. And, and I do think our culture gives us some really bad ideas about forgiveness. Here's two things our culture gives us that are just messed up when it comes to forgiveness. Number one is we get told to forgive and forget. And I think that's why it might be hard for some of us to let it go. Because I, I don't see that as the biblical, the biblical model. There is a reference where, where it says that God remembers our sins no more. Um, I just think that's not held against us. I don't think that means that like, I'm going to walk into heaven and be like, so I'm really sorry, God, about that thing I did when I was like, mm. and he's like, oh, I, what? You did what? I, I don't think that that's what that means. And, and the other thing that we say is we say it's okay. When someone apologizes to me, they come and they say, I did something that was messed up. I say, it's okay. It's not okay. That's not what forgiving means. Forgiving doesn't mean that we look at that thing from our past, that thing that, that hurt, that thing that shaped us, and say, it's okay. Forgiving says, I, I'm okay. Forgiving says, maybe, we're okay. I'm not going to hold bitterness against you. But I don't think biblical forgiveness ever says, it's okay. Because I've, I've read the end of this book. Like, the bad guys lose. The, the tough things in the Bible show God's heart and his justice. And we live in a culture where we are crying out for justice. We, we have history books full of, like, terrible things that, that now we feel like we need to be outraged about. And some of that is because we have the image of God in our heart. And we look, it's okay to look at things and say, that's not okay. But it's also okay to say, this is above my pay grade. I'm going to let it not have power over me. Because sometimes when we're forgiving, who's the person we're releasing from that? We're releasing ourselves, absolutely. Because I have been guided by bitterness. I have been broken up over something someone said or did. And it has power over me. There's, an, there's a quote that I've, I say just about every time I preach on forgiveness, because I just think it's so true. But unforgiveness, holding on to bitterness, is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. Because who are we hurting? And like, yes, I'm disturbed at the end of the story where the guy's turned over to the torture jailers. But how many times have I turned myself over to that? How many times have I put myself in the bad situation because I'm like, well, I'm just going to hang on to bitterness right now. I'm going to hang on to unforgiveness. Because what does unforgiveness do? It creates really gross things. There was one time I found a Tupperware 
in the back seat of my car. I don't know how long it had been back there. I don't even know what I had eaten from the meal that was in that Tupperware when I threw it in the back seat of the car. But it was disgusting. I should have sold that thing for grant money somewhere. Like, I'm growing like a penicillin farm in the back of my seat. No, it was disgusting. I didn't even wash it out. I just like threw it in the garbage can because I was like, I can't, I can't even, man. Do we do that with bitterness? Like, did you take, do you take the Tupperware, put it in the back seat of your heart and just let it grow? Let it fester? I think Jesus has more for us. I think Jesus has more for us. And there's, there's just something here where forgiveness means setting ourselves free. It means setting the other person free. And I, I imagine what would it be like if as people who said, okay, we, we take communion, we follow Jesus, we believe in forgiveness, and we could extend that to other people in our life. And say, well, I don't, I don't need to hang on. I don't need to get bitter. I can just let that go. I'm not saying it was okay. I'm not even forgetting that it happened. Sometimes we think, well, we got to just let them right back in exactly where they were before. No. Forgiveness and reconciliation, those could be two different things. And maybe the person you need to forgive is yourself. Maybe there's some ways where you're holding on to bitterness against you. And, and what I would say to that, because I've, I've had this conversation with people where they're like, well, I'm just so mad at myself. And I'm like, bro, God forgave you. And you're saying, yeah, but I think better. I think different. And I can tell you, you are not the higher court of appeals beyond God. That's not how that works. And so maybe you can begin to forgive yourself. Maybe you can begin to forgive some of the people who've done terrible things to you so that you can walk in freedom. You can live unburdened. Because like, what would, it, what would it look like if as God's people, we, we weren't burdened, we didn't carry baggage? This is a little bit of a silly and dumb story, but it means something to me. And I'm the one who stands up here with the microphone right now, so you guys get to come with me. All right. Um, there's, there's a movie that came out when I was in high school, and it's called Pacific Rim. And, and in the movie Pacific Rim, um, it's about these giant Godzilla-sized robots that fight giant Godzilla-sized monsters, and it is the coolest thing 16-year-old Andrew had ever seen in the movie theater up to that point. But, but here's how it works. So in, in, in the, the plot of the movie, in order for the humans to pilot these giant robots, the, the, the load and the baggage was too much for any one person to take. And so they had to have someone else come alongside them. And it couldn't just be anybody. It had to be someone that you had this like simpatico bond, like it was like parents and kids or like family members or like some, some sort of way where you didn't have baggage with each other and you could you could pilot together. You understood each other. Well, at the end of the movie, you know, everything's going off the rails. Everything's falling apart. Oh, no, how are we going to save the day? Well, one of the guys, his 
um, I think it's his dad, but like his partner gets killed. And so he's got no partner to help pilot his, his giant robot thing. And they're like, oh no, what are we gonna do? It's the end of the movie. And this, this guy walks up and he's this old grizzly pirate, uh, pilot, not a pirate, that'd be really cool too. That's the sequel, the rights are mine, you heard it here. No, but, uh, no, but this guy walks up and he plugs in, he goes alongside with this other person, he picks up the, the burden and they're like, wait, how can you do this? And he says, well, I carry nothing with me. I have no baggage. I have no burden, I can pick up yours. And I think that's really cool. And like, what if that's the type of people we were? Like, what if that's what it means to be a Christian is we can, we can go into our workplace, we can go into where we do life and we say, I've been forgiven. You know what I did with my baggage? I put it at the foot of that cross. And I walk in forgiveness. I carry nothing with me. And so I can keep this in perspective. I can let it go. Because I know that God is okay with me. I know that he is guiding my path. I know that he is walking with me. I think there's a version of that, and it doesn't involve giant robots. But in the book of Genesis, there's a moment where Joseph looks at his brothers. And his brothers had betrayed him. His brothers had hurt him, sold him into slavery. That's awful. And he looks his brothers in the eye, and he says, what you intended for evil, God used for good. And he doesn't say, oh, it's okay. He doesn't say, well, I'm going to forget it. He says, no, I've got a perspective. What you intended for evil, God used for good. And so, I just would encourage us as a church family, what would it take for us to be forgiving people because we're forgiven people? And Joe teased me when I came up with this. I thought it was so clever, but here's, here's the one line at the end of the sermon, right? Is to be forgiven because you're forgiven. And maybe it's cheesy, but it's true. So here's where I would leave us. I've got, I've got this challenge. Um, on the tables, kind of scattered throughout um, the sanctuary right now, are these little cards. And on them, um, there's a little fill in the blank that says, I will dot, dot, dot. And th this is what I've been doing with my discipleship groups, is every time we encounter God's word, we make a commitment to take an action step and be different because of what God has told us in the Bible. And I just would encourage our church family to maybe, as, as we sing this next song, do some reflection. Who do you need to forgive? What's something you could let go of that maybe has been holding you back? What's your I will? Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful for the many ways in which you have forgiven us God, we are, we are grateful that we've received forgiveness from you. And so, God, we ask you as the one who gives good gifts and who gives forgiveness, God, help us to extend that to the people around us. Help us to be forgiving. Help us to be set free from the baggage that we carry in life. Jesus, forgive us. Amen.